Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ubi Est Mia, a show about Chicago by former Chicagoans. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Billy McCall, a former Chicagoan, current Albuquerque, New Mexico resident. Billy is a writer, a zinester, a musician, an artist. He's, he's a lot of things, and he knows a lot of people, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. If you spend any time in Chicago from 2000 to 2010 and were involved in the underground writing or the music scene, you've probably ran into Billy. Without further ado, here is Billy McCall. Why did you move from Chicago? I moved out of Chicago because I was tired. I was tired of Chicago. I love Chicago, but it wore me out. It's a big city. It's a lot of commotion. You know, there's violence and there's traffic and, you know, the weather's tough. And I love all those things about Chicago. It makes you tough. You got to be tough to live there. But it wore me out and I, I just needed to uh, get back to nature a little bit. And even though I'm living in Albuquerque, like New Mexico is a very nature oriented state. You know, so in 20 or 30 minutes, I can get up into the mountains, I can get to the desert, I can go camping. So I, I kind of just needed to get out of the city life. And when I first moved to New Mexico, I, I lived like in a little sort of like cabin in the woods, like away from everything, like the first year before I moved in and back into the town and into the city. So, yeah, I moved, I moved out of Chicago because I just needed something different. And even though I love Chicago, I love to explore and I wanted to, to find something new. I felt like I had figured out what Chicago was and I wanted to get onto something new. I, you were one of the biggest <laughs> to use a word. You just used explorers of anybody. I knew you never seemed to be in the same place night after night. And you would bike everywhere. You seemingly knew everybody or you were one or two degrees away from knowing anybody. Was there a weird culture shock going from that to a cabin in the woods? Totally. It was a total shock, but it was, it was what I needed uh, my spirit needed that. I was, I was feeling overwhelmed in Chicago and, and as much as I loved it, like, like every single night, Chicago is so big. There's, you know, there's a football game and there's an art show and there's a dance party and there's a, your buddy's having an opening and there's some underground hip hop thing. Like every night there's like so much to do. And it's really great when you're in your twenties, but by the time I got, to, you know, I moved out here when I was 29, I was sort of like, I needed to catch my breath a little bit, you know? So it was definitely a shock t- to go, you know, I, I didn't know anybody out here, and I was just living, me and my dog, and, you know, it was like campfires and, and stars, like, every night, and just, I wrote and wrote and wrote, and it was really, really therapeutic for me, so it was definitely a shock, but it was a welcome shock. So where did you grow up? I moved around a lot when I was a kid, which is probably why I like to move around still, um, but I mostly grew up in Iowa, like, in southern Iowa, like, small town, 2,000 people type environment, you know, lived at a lake, swimming in the summer and ice skating in the winter. So that, that was that. And when I graduated and I, and, and back then, like, I couldn't wait to get away from it. I hated Iowa, but after I left, like I, I really love and respect and appreciate Iowa. I was actually awesome. But uh, when I was a teenager, all I wanted was to get out of my hometown. And so, you know, moved to Des Moines, moved to Minneapolis and ended up in Chicago for uh, film school. Do you use any of your film school training in anything that you do? I use my film school training all the time, but not to make money. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I got a, uh, you know, I got a bachelor's degree eventually, and, and did graduate from Columbia. But uh, I don't, I don't work in the film industry. But you know, my, my band shot a music video, you know, a couple months ago, and, and I do little art projects. Like I learned so much about art and just how to talk to people and how to, you know, analyze film, analyze photos, and I definitely. And I'm so grateful and happy that I went to, 
film school, but I am I don't work in the film industry, and I probably never will. <laughs> well, I mean, there, I'm assuming there's not a lot, a ton of film stuff in Albuquerque. I that's not true at all. You're really wrong. Yeah, really? Like, yeah, and New Mexico is not as uh, high up as it was maybe five or ten years ago. But New Mexico is like a hot spot of stuff being shot, you know, like not only like the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul stuff, but they, you know, they shot the Avengers here. They, they shoot tons of movies here because it's pretty close to L.A. It's pretty close to Hollywood. And there's a lot of space out here. It's, you know, it's fairly cheap out here. You can, you know, they have, there's like a big studio like north of Albuquerque where they like shoot stuff in the studio. So there's actually a lot of like I, I actually know a lot of film people out here. If I really wanted to get into it, I probably could. But, yeah, surprisingly, there's a lot of film going on out here. I think at this point we should explain to the listener at home how we met. I don't think if I met you, I would have – I would think I would have had a much more boring 20s if I had not met you. I don't know if that's true. I, it, and if, it, if that's true, it could, go, it could go either way because you definitely made my life more interesting. I, I so. think you're just being very polite. Um you, no, not at all. You're being very humble, which you've always been very humble. You, you've been, you, as long as I've known you, you're terrible at taking a compliment. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you embrace the term zinster in a way. You embodied everything good with that term to me. I, I appreciate that. That's that's nice of nice of you to say. Well, you you made the for for the people listening, and I don't think a lot of them actually do know what a zine is. Do you want to explain it, or should I? I would love to explain it, and it's it's funny because it's something that's really normal to me, and it's it's more known, and you know, with the internet and everything, it's easy to look these things up. But a lot of people don't know what a zine is. But it's basically a self-published magazine, a small you know small print run, photocopied. You make it by hand and put it on the copier and fold it and staple it. Like when you see one, you know what it is. A little bit hard to explain, but when you see it, you know what it is. But it's just a small independent publication, so. People write about whatever they enjoy. They write about music, or they write about their lives. They write about you know diary entries or photos or whatever they're into. And whatever you like, you can put that out in the world and share it with people. You've made a lot of them thanks to you. I I would do readings and put them out, and you would help distribute them as well because you had a distro, which is a very important component of the zine community that most people have never heard of. Absolutely. It's really, if, if you're listening to this and you're not sure what it is, think of a record label. Billy was essentially the record label guy that made sure that your record got into the store so people could find your record. That's a really great way to put it. Yeah, uh-huh. it was, I grew up in Iowa and I had just kind of gotten into zines. And when I was in Iowa, I had to like write letters and people would mail them to me. And when I moved to Chicago, suddenly all these zines that I was reading, like people in Chicago were making them and I'm... Little by little, I started, you know, emailing people and, and getting in touch with people. And I realized, like, oh, like, I really like this. Like, can I have, like, five copies of your zine? And then when I'm selling mine, I'll try to sell yours. And, like, the more people I met doing zines, I just, you know, kept building up my little milk, milk crate full of zines that I would take to shows. But the way that I met you, if I recall correctly, was because you had a zine that you gave to me. We were at Fireside Bowl. I don't know what show. You were walking around passing out zines. I'm like, whoa, this is like a person at a show giving away zines. And like, I ran over to you, and that's, I think, how we met is you gave me an issue of Foul. I think that is exactly how we met. I think it, I, it must have been 18 or 19, something but, like that. Yeah, I was probably 20. It was probably like the year 2000, 2001. That sounds right. Um, it might have been pre 9 11, it might have been post. <laughs> 
it's 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 interesting to think that um, roughly 15 years later, I don't know if that ever happens anymore. I don't know if there are still like late teens, early 20s people going out and, and publishing these things at shows as much as they used to. And I don't know if that's good or bad. It, it happens, but not like it used to. And I, I feel like you and I were kind of like on that last wave of like old school zining because, you know, in the year 2000, 2001, obviously there is the internet, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not all encompassing Facebook. You're constantly on your mobile phone like it is now. So there was still like that little bit of like, like I was really excited that you wrote a zine and that I could like read it, you know? And I think people still get excited when they see that, but it's, it's just a different world now, you know? So you and I were at this cusp of also like, do you embrace blogging or not? There was a big debate for a long time. It's like, well, you're not a real writer if you're just putting it online. Yeah. And I think, I think now that that's, I think that's sort of balanced out now, you know, where, and it was, it was sort of the same thing for a while with cell phones. Like there was like this backlash against phones and then there was a backlash against blogging. And, and then after a while it kind of balances out where, you know, a lot of people, do zines and do blogging a lot of people write for the local paper and they do their blog you know and and it sort of weeded out i think there was i think when the idea of online blogging and like live journal and all those things were hitting like everyone did it and it was so much that like most of them were really terrible and so it like online writing just had a terrible reputation because so much of it was bad and little by little it kind of got filtered where there's like some really you know there's still bad blogs obviously but there's also some really great ones that people want to read every single day because it's so well written. So yeah, I think it's kind of found a balance now. Um, there's two things I, I think that are very important for the listener to know. Number one, when you said bringing these zines around with your milk crate, that was literal. You, it, it's This is not a giant operation. And also you're not making any money doing this distro thing. This is almost entirely a labor of love. Absolutely. Yeah, it totally was. Um, it was a it was a good way to meet people. That's how I met you. It's how I met a lot of really great people that helped influence my life. You needed to have like a magazine rack that you'd see at a bookstore. That's how many pieces of product that you had. And considering that you only had, I'd say one to five copies of everything, you had your finger in so many different pies. You knew, you knew about the, the zine scene in the United States more than anybody else in Chicago, other than say Quimby's, which is a bookstore. Right. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. And, and a lot of it is because Chicago has so much activity in the zine world and in the punk rock world. And there was so much great writing in Chicago so that I could actually meet people face to face. And then through a lot of those people and different things, I would meet, you know, people and read scenes from other parts of the, of the country. But, you know, Chicago is a really great zine hub and, and writing hub in general there's you know great screenwriters great novelists there's a lot of good writing in chicago so that helps and that goes into the second part that i wanted to talk about which was usually when you picked up a zine you had an idea of what it was about based on the cover and the title but yours is called or the one one of yours is called proof i exist that could be about anything and there's not one specific theme for every single year or, or issue or whatever it could be about anything so you'd end up picking up these things that you didn't know what you were getting occasionally there'd be a very specific title that actually got some sort of mainstream attention for example Kurt Cobain was lactose intolerant which is a conspiracy theory zine <laughs> which I adore it's one of my favorites about how maybe Kurt Cobain had a heroin addiction because he was lactose intolerant but other than that 
there's a lot of stuff that you would never read about. For, like this is where you read a lot about gender theory and queer politics. If you're if you have no idea what those things are as a teenager, right? Well, yeah, and especially when you're young. See, oh, my my dog is barking. Yeah, especially if you're young, it's a it's a great way to get introduced to a lot of new ideas. You know, and and every zine has a different, um, I don't know, a different theme, a different idea, different information. So, like, like mine, like Proof I Exist is is all about me. So every issue is different because my life is always different. So I might write about my bands. I might write about, you know, people I'm dating or different things that I've gone through. But there's definitely a lot of political zines, you know, which is all really important information also. And, yeah, it's a great way to first learn about these radical ideas, like stuff that you're not going to read in mainstream newspapers, you know. Mm-hmm. And some of it's horrible and some of it's amazing. There's no, it's, it, it really runs the gamut in quality here. Yeah. And that's the, that's the great and terrible and wonderful thing about zines is, is people, there, there's no editor. People can put whatever they want. There's no censor. You know, you might have a zine that's totally racist and then one that's totally against racism. And then you might have one that's super well-written and then one that's like, everything's misspelled and it looks like shit. And Whatever, whatever you're into or you're interested in, you can find it. You just have to, you know, it's a little bit of a, a search, but you can find what you're interested in and read about it. Now, the, I think that at your height of this, I would say, is what, 04, 05? I don't, I, I, what do you mean by that? In terms of you were doing the most amount of tabling at conferences, you had the most product via your distro, you were putting out the most amount of your own writing. Is that fair to say? That's, um... All the distro stuff is definitely fair to say. I, I might do more writing now than I did then. Sure, sure. I put out, I put out a lot of zines. I, I kept track um, for whatever reason. Last year, uh, in 2015, I think I put out 16 zines. So that's a little more than one a month. <laughs> plus plus other newsletters and stuff. So I do a lot of writing. But, but yeah, like 2004, 2005, I was much more involved in the zine scene. I was selling a lot of zines. I was doing a lot of you know every week mail orders of my stuff, but also of like tons of other people's stuff and, and, and traveling around the country to different scene fests. Now, nowadays, like if I go to one a year, I'm, I'm fortunate to go to one scene fest a year. Now, do you, did you stop doing that because it was just too all encompassing and you had a life where you not finding the joy in it? Did you want to focus more on music and your own stuff? Why did you scale back? Um, I, I think cause I wanted to focus on my stuff. It was, it was really great. Uh, you know, doing that, it kind of got so big where it was overwhelming me and it was, it was, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot. And I wasn't writing as many scenes as I wanted to write because I was spending so much time reading and reviewing other people's zines. You know, I, I would put out catalogs of, of, uh, stuff that I was selling and it would basically be a zine with a hundred zine reviews because I'm talking about all of the zines that I've read that I'm trying to sell. And, I felt like, you know, and doing websites too, which I, I don't like to do websites, but I, I would work really hard to try to connect my friends who write zines with other people that have never heard of them. And I liked doing that. And it was really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I did it. But after a while, I wanted to get back to my art and doing, you know, I was doing more street art. I was doing more writing. I wanted to be in bands, you know. So, yeah, I had, I had to slow down on promoting other people's stuff so that I could work on my stuff for a while. Sure. The last five years you were in Chicago, if not prior, uh, one of the things you were known for is actually where you worked. Um, you were one of the guys at Uncle Fun. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a story that was beloved by a lot of people. And it was also the kind of story that like would end up on a lot of like tourist guides and stuff like that. But 
Do you miss any of that? I mean, the store doesn't exist anymore. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and I absolutely miss it. I think about it all the time. It was uh, a great part of my life. I'm, I'm so fortunate that I had the chance to work there and to work with Ted Frankel because Ted's just an amazing person. Uh, he has a store in Baltimore. Uh, if anyone lives in Baltimore, is close. He has a store called Sideshow. That's American Visionary Art Museum. So that's an amazing place now, also. But Uncle Fun was the you know was the best store in Chicago for for years, and I'm I'm happy I got to work there for a while. And the the great thing about it, you know, for anyone that doesn't know what it is or never went there, it was a, a toy and novelty shop. So it was rubber chickens and whoopee cushions, but also just like weird art books and postcards and. The, the thing that uh, the owner, his name was Ted, like the thing that Ted would always say is like, this is the safe place. Like whoever you are, you can come in here and be comfortable. So, you know, we'd get weird artists, we'd get punk rockers, we'd get suburban families with their kids and whoever you were, it didn't matter. You could just come and hang out and have fun. And every day we were telling jokes and making kids laugh and making adults laugh too. And it was, it was a great, great experience. I learned a lot from it. And, and yeah, I told, I missed so much about Chicago and that's a big part of it, you know, and uncle fun closed down a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but for, you know, for 20 years, it was the place to be, man. Did you find any spaces like that in Albuquerque? Um, I don't, I don't think there's any space like that in the world. There's, there's places that are similar. There's a couple of stores out here. There's one called beeps. That's pretty cool. It has lots, lots of, uh, the novelty stuff. There's a place called octopus and the Fox that has like a lot of handmade, you know, stuff where you can, you can get like, like everything in there is like, you know, made by hand, handmade mugs and, you know, shirts and all this. Um, so there's, there's lots of stores that have like little touches of this and that of the uniqueness, but nothing that's the same. Like it, it was, it was one of a kind for sure. So when you left, you were tired of Chicago itself, but you didn't, you don't seem to have been tired of Uncle Fun. No, no. And, and leaving Uncle Fun was one of the hardest parts about leaving Chicago. And you also um, didn't... You also didn't seem to leave because you were sick of your friends either. No, I I cried when I left. I was my, I had tears coming down when I when I drove down uh down, drove down the interstate and left town. Um, it wasn't about that. I love I love Chicago. I'm a big Blackhawks fan. I love all the bands and music. You know, I miss the Vic. I miss all these like weird little uh you know the music box. All these like great places. There's institutions that have been around forever in Chicago, and and Chicago's amazing. You know, but. I just, I needed something new. And, and sometimes you just feel the gears shifting in your life and, you know, it's almost out of your control. You can just tell it's like time to go and, and move on to the next thing, you know, and, and going out on that adventure. Like some, some people can stay in one place and that's their thing. But for me, like I have to explore and I've learned a lot by moving, you know? So it was, it was a hard decision to make, but it was what I had to do. Do you feel like you left at the right time or you, you stayed a little bit too long? That's a weird and interesting question. I don't know. Um, I, I might've overstated a little bit, I guess, but I, I went when I could and I, I went when I thought I should. The reason why I ask is because you said you're about ready to leave Albuquerque in about a year. How do you know it's time? Well, the Albuquerque situation is different just because uh, I've been here for a while and, and I feel like I've, you know, you can always explore more, but I feel like I kind of get what Albuquerque is, and I'm really grateful for that. But I'm I'm ready for a new adventure. I'm ready for something different, and uh, I'm I'm living with a wonderful, wonderful person who's over playing Nintendo next to me right now, <laughs> and she uh, and she's about to graduate from school, and then she's going to work for a little bit, and, and then uh, 
we've been basically hanging out in Albuquerque until she can graduate from school. So once that happens, that like sets the gears in motion for the next big thing. But Albuquerque is great. I'm, but you know, I'm ready for another adventure. <laughs> Where do you hope that takes you? Um, anywhere is possible. Uh, we're thinking East coast. So Baltimore might be, um, you know, Pittsburgh, maybe somewhere out there where we can get to a lot of cities. Like East coast is amazing. It's so different than the West because on the East coast, like, like if we're in Baltimore, for example, you know, a couple hours, we're in New York, a couple hours to Pittsburgh, a couple hours to Philly, like DC is a half hour. Like everything's very close. Um, out here, like Albuquerque is really cool. And then like six hours away, you got Denver, like six hours away, you got, you know, Phoenix, you know, you know, 12 hours away, you got LA, like everything's like spread out. So it'd be nice to go to the East coast, I think. So I can, you know, experience a lot of different cities, you know, pick one to live in and then take day trips and weekend trips to the other ones. So should we talk about the music? Sure. Let's talk about music. We're both in our thirties. Mm-hmm. And we both, and, and when we were like, uh, when we were teens, we were playing in bands and we're still doing, and you're still doing it. Why are you still doing it? What's the goal? Do you find joy in it? Yeah, it's, I do. Do I you, a, go ahead. Oh, uh, my band actually just got back. We did a little, a short little three day tour and we just, we played a show last night that was just off the wall, like nuts. And it was so fun. And to go to a town where we don't really know anybody and just have a crowd that's never heard our music just embrace us, and they, they just got it. And, uh, you know, I'm still doing punk rock stuff, and it's it's not that our music is that good. It's, like, the feeling that you get from it. And, like, people were just, they are going crazy for it. They just loved it. And it was, you know, it's, it's hard being in a band. It's hard touring. You know, I tour more now than I did in my 20s, which doesn't make sense because, you know, sleeping in vans and laying on floors and, you know, eating out of gas stations, and it's 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 not glamorous in, the, in that way but it's it's still fun and it's it's still exciting and you know you still get that connection with people you know did you ever think about not doing it i mean i i i go through phases because i i do so much different art and i i like to write i like to do you know painting and drawing and, and all these different things and i kind of go through phases and and music's one that like sometimes i'm not in a band and i'll go a few months and I start to get that urge where like, I just miss it. And so even, even when I'm not in a band for, you know, six months or a year, like eventually I got to get back to it and I miss it. And I find people and do it again. You know, are you not playing music anymore? Are you not in bands? I played one song on a stage in 2015. I'm still doing the talk show all the time. So like I had a show on Friday and I have a show in a few weeks. And so I'm always on stage. Um, yeah, but honestly I do not miss bringing gear everywhere. Yeah. Well, see, I, I sort of, uh, the way I've gotten around that is I became the singer instead of the drummer. Yeah, same idea. Also, um, I'm tired of coordinating other people's schedules. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a challenge. It's always a challenge. Like, it's it's not easy, and, you know, you, you got to really want it to go do it, because, yeah. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's actually surprising, and I think it's wonderful that you still want it, because, uh, boy, I'm good. I'm, I, don't, I don't desire that anymore. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I love, I love performing. I love, uh, scaring the audience. I love excitement, getting some excitement, surprising an audience. You know, I love when, when something unexpected, like the great thing about live music is you don't know what's going to happen. Like shit gets crazy sometimes. And like, and sometimes it's in a good way or sometimes it's in a bad way, but like that unexpected quality of live, live music is what's so amazing. It's, it's fun. 
Sir, for you, I 100% agree, but for what I do as my day job and then what I do with the talk show, I would like to say that you are wrong and that most sets you know exactly what's going to happen and it's not nearly as exciting as any of your shows. You're you have one of the few bands where even if you hate the music, you should go see this band. You know, you know what's funny is um, I've been in a few bands since I've known you that you that you haven't seen, like since you and I have gone our separate ways. Yes. But I, that's true with the band I played with last night, and she says it was when I was playing in bands in Chicago. <laughs> like I, I, I try. Like there's certain things that I, I, you know, that are maybe choreographed or planned out. But there's a lot of unexpected. There's stuff that I don't know what's going to happen, and you know, and yeah. <laughs> um, I, I hope this doesn't come off as insulting, but it might. You are one of these people that I think. I, this is uh, once again. I hope it's not an insult. That when you die, <laughs> or you have gone from the city for a long time, you're going to be in so many of these like books, and there's going to be all this footage, and they're going to realize, oh, that was the guy doing the thing that now the popular guy is stealing from. You know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, that would be great if someone wants to steal. You're someone, you're the Klaus Nomi to Klaus Nomi's David Bowie connection. Does this make sense? Uh, not exactly. I don't get, I don't get that. I don't understand that exactly. The, the, people are going to be stealing from you and you're not going to make any money off of it is what I'm saying. Oh, that's, that's, that's possible. That's, and that's fine if that happens. You know, I, like, I don't, I, I'm not doing anything that other people haven't done. We were talking about this last night. Like I had a, you know, I had a show a couple uh, nights ago and it's in, it is in the, this living room in Grand Junction and we're going crazy and people are throwing beer cans and we're knocking stuff over and, at some point, I ripped a beer can in half and cut my arm and sli- like just like sliced my shoulder up and I'm bleeding and it's crazy and fun and exciting, you know, and and stupid, but that's part of it. But you know, Iggy Pop did the same thing, Gigi Allen did the same thing. Like I'm I'm doing stuff that everyone's done, but have you know has some twenty year old? Did they have a chance to see Iggy Pop or Gigi Allen? Like you know, it's it's the same thing that other. I'm, I'm stealing from everyone else too, but it's it's still fun, exciting punk rock, you know. I understand completely, but the difference is Gigi Allen and Iggy Pop also didn't try to create a community of other like-minded artists and writers, and was you know what I mean. That's the difference. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Like we we try to be, uh, you know, when I perform, I try to be crazy off the wall and have a good time, but I also try to be nice and try to be, you know, I try to clean up at the end of the night and I try to like help people out and you know have good conversations because it's it's just so much better when you're nice to people you know like people people appreciate it and I appreciate when someone comes up to me after the show and talks to me and like especially in a, in a punk rock world like punk rock like the show is going on and there's no stage it's the crowd and the audience and, and the people and the drummer and the bass player and like like someone has to be the one singing in the mic, but everyone's doing the same thing. Like we're all moshing together, we're all dancing together, and like that's what's great about it. Is it's it should feel like it's one big room of friends. You know, that's what it should feel like. And last night, and like, on our little tour, our three day tour, like that's what it felt like at all three shows, and it was really great. Could we end with a little chat about identity? Yeah, let's do it. What should I call you these days? <laughs> I mean, Billy's fine. <laughs> uh, sure, but when I when we post this episode, it can't just be Billy, unless you want it just to be Billy. But in Chicago, most people just think Billy and think of Billy Corgan, and I'm assuming you don't want that connotation. No, no, nothing against Billy Corgan, but he's he's him and I'm me. Exactly. So um, yeah, I have, a, I, have, I have a lot of uh, faces and identities. And I use different names in different worlds, I suppose. Uh, my my name, my real name is Billy Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So my family, my mom, like people that know me, they know me as Billy Roberts. Um, but when I write and like in my zines and a lot of my art, I go by Billy McCall, which is a pseudonym. It's just sort of my, my pen name, um, a name I, I picked up from someone a few years ago. And I just like the sound of it. And that's kind of a, that's a little bit of a, a separation that I can give myself of, of people that kind of know me and people that like, you know, went to high school with me and I've known for 30 years or whatever. But yeah, Billy Roberts or Billy McCall, they're both me. <laughs> when you introduce yourself to people, what do you say? Just Billy? Just Billy. Do you, I mean, do you say, hi, I'm Brandon Weatherby? Uh, I usually honestly say, I'm like, hi, I'm that guy or whatever. <laughs> I'm very, <laughs> but at the top of every, the top of every show, I do say my whole name. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I didn't do that when I was in bands, you know, I, but in the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, like every single show starts with, hello, my name is Brandon Weatherby. Welcome to blank. So, right. well, you're, you're essentially, you know, a radio journalist. Like when you listen to NPR, like that's what they say, right? When you, mm-hmm. when you turn on a, a news radio show, hello, my name is so-and-so. And today we're talking with blah, blah, blah about this and that. I think that's a journalism thing, isn't it? I, for me, it was more of, um. I think it's just like demanding attention. I mean, doing so many things with you near on 16 years ago, you'd see a lot of people staring at the ground or uh, fiddling with their notes or just really, really nervous and just confidently saying your name and declaring yourself the man or the woman. I just, I've made it feel better. It it makes you feel better. Oh yeah. It has way less to do with about journalistic integrity or anything like that. (laughs) It just, you, it is your, if it's the stage, it's your stage. If it's a story, it's your story. It's that sort of owning it. Yeah. And I just, that's cool. That works for you, you know? And, and I, I definitely understand that. Um, even, even when you were in your bands, I always thought you had a good stage presence and I, it's hard. I'm thinking back now of like, did you seem confident or did you not seem confident? Maybe, Maybe back and forth a little of each, but you always seem to be able to make the make the, the audience feel comfortable, and like that's really important. So even if you maybe weren't comfortable, if you weren't confident, like I think you're you do a good job of letting the audience feel comfortable and enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. So it's very nice of you to say, and um, I think that if you're listening to this and you know who Billy is, you've probably seen him perform. In any capacity. And if you hadn't, uh, do yourself a favor and, and make that possible. He's probably going to be performing not at a like, House of Blues type venue, though there's nothing wrong with a House of Blues type venue. But be it music or readings or anything in between, um, it's going to be an atmosphere that might seem a little intimidating and he will make it better. Is it weird to talk about you like you're not here right now? No, it's, it's, I love it when people talk about me. If you would like more information on Billy, specifically his band, Rudis Priest, go to rudispriest.bandcamp.com. They will be touring the East Coast and maybe some of the Midwest this summer, so keep an eye on that page. Our theme songs, both of them are written and performed by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Dmitry Samarov. My name is Brandon Weatherby. Follow me on Twitter, at sign YMTE. Our Twitter page is UbiEstimiaPod, and our Facebook account is just UbiEstimia. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night. Sleeping